All right. Welcome to our, our study going through uh, Ezekiel. Uh, there's a big unit of thought coming up, 12 through uh, 19, another big unit. The prior unit was chapters 8 through 11. And uh, it's it's just fascinating. And, you know, this stuff could seem a little repetitive, but really there's a lot of new material. And despite everything we've seen in the first 11 chapters, what you're shocked to find out in chapter 12, uh, but, but we shouldn't be shocked because God told Ezekiel at the beginning when he when he when he called him to this ministry, what you're shocked to find out is they just don't believe him. I mean, it's just incredible that they don't believe him. And and it, they so much don't believe them that they've invented little proverbs, little sayings that the people go around publicly saying uh, to denounce what Ezekiel has to say. And it, it reflects something that you would later read in, in Second Peter, where Peter deals with scoffers and mockers who say, you know, where's the promise of his coming? Everything just continues as it's always been. And that kind of fascinating passage in Second uh, Peter. And he says, you know, if God a day is like a thousand years and that sort of thing. And, and uh, things haven't always proceeded as as uh you know without god's intervention and he reminds them of the flood and things like that so it's kind of that that attitude and i think there's a great lesson as we look at this because uh, we really uh, are in a time and i don't know that there's ever been a time that was so much that different but we are in a time when uh, we do have a a lot of uh, churches that are uh, doing a good job of, I think, bringing forth God's word. Uh, no church is perfect, and there's always something, you know, could be done better and all that stuff. But, but they're, you know, preachers are trying to bring forth God's word. But there's a lot of people, both within a more uh, Christian liberalism and in and within a, the secular world, that are attacking uh, these people uh, on all kinds of grounds for speaking the truth of God's word. And they deny it. Uh, and it's it's a sad thing that both within, in a sense, under the umbrella of Christianity, and then, of course, among secular world, we're not surprised by their conduct. But there's there's a lot of pushback. And especially if if someone preaches that the judgment's coming. Uh, and, and it is. We know the tribulation's going to happen, things like that. So it's it just to say... Uh, Maybe there's nothing new under the sun. You'll see what happens here in, in Ezekiel 12 and 13. Um, in, in 12, he's going to do two more dramatizations. We've seen that before where he did four different dramatizations, uh, playing soldier on uh, the city, uh, putting the iron plate between him and the city, laying on his side for 430 days. He laid on one side, then the other. Those sorts of things. He's going to do a couple more of these dramatizations, and um, he, he's going to tell them that their attitude of optimism is misplaced. But then uh, he's he's going to deal with the false prophets themselves because that's part of the problem that is behind this optimism, this rejection of Ezekiel's message. There are false prophets, and that's the way in which it really fits our day. There are people today that, uh, you know, again, even under the coattails of Christianity, that are teaching such false doctrine, either denying the truth of God's word or just teaching twisted stuff. So he deals with those people, 
and then after that, he's going to have some of the good men of of uh, of the city where he's at uh, there in Babylon come to visit him to ask him for a vision. And and and, he, and God's going to call out these men, these elders. He's going to call them out as as idolaters. Uh, uh, so anyway, it's very powerful. Uh, chapter 12, uh, the word of the Lord came to me. He'll repeat this over and over. We've seen um, him say he had visions, uh, different things. But the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, you are living among a rebellious house. When he called him to ministry, he told him that back in chapter, I think it was three. And, and he said, you know, the blood's on your hands if you don't give them the truth. And that principle remains for those who teach and preach God's word today. Um, God will hold you accountable and, I, and me accountable. I, I think when we knowingly uh, just make stuff up and, and, and especially giving people a, a false assurance where there shouldn't be any. And I think that's, you know, James chapter three, verse one says few, few should be teachers. Um, and and uh, so so Ezekiel, as far as we've seen, though, uh, has carried out his task. He's been God's watchman. Uh, so he comments here about them, uh, something that's familiar to us. They have eyes to see, but do not see and ears to hear, but do not hear for their rebellious house. Now, this would have been a great place to say that they're just totally depraved uh, to bring in a, a sort of a reform doctrine on it. And of course, he doesn't. Um, they have the ability. This isn't a capacity issue. This is a volition issue, as it always is. Um, he says, now you son of man, get your bags ready. So uh, in other words, pack your luggage. You're going on a trip. This is going to be the dramatization. And if we remember that uh, when when the attack comes from Nebuchadnezzar on, on Jerusalem, people will be taken captive, although a bunch of them will die. Uh, those who are taken captive are going to have to just carry what they have, uh, what they can grab quickly and, and put in a bag. They're not going to have time to pack up all the, the livestock and the furniture and, and the big screen TVs and all that stuff. They're going to grab a few items, and, and that's what he's going to reenact here. Get your bags ready for exile. Get your luggage ready for exile and go into exile in their sight during the day. So in the middle of the day, uh, imagine the prophet kind of packing up his bags with some of his clothes and belongings and putting it over his shoulder and walking through walking through town, letting people see him and, and scratch their heads and say, what's that guy up to now? Um, you will go into exile from your place, meaning your house. He's got a house there to another place while they watch. Perhaps they will understand, though they are a rebellious house. He always puts the uh, the reason for their uh, not responding on their rebelliousness. And that doesn't surprise us really, as we I've, I've alluded to it many times, but of course, Romans one gives you a picture of, of people who exchange the truth of God for a lie, which is what they've done. And it results in, according to Romans one, uh, senseless thinking or nonsense thinking, a, a, a darkened heart, Romans one says, in a corrupt, debased, or a reprobate, King James, I think, says that, reprobate mind, uh, their, their thinking changes. and uh, But it's because of their own volition that they get there. It's, to sum it up in a phrase, they're a rebellious house, right? That's the, that's the picture. So 
it is possible for them to understand, uh, but they are a rebellious house. And, and during the day, bring out your bags like an exile's bags while they look on. Then in the evening, go out in their sight like those going to, uh, out to exile. Now, this is kind of the uh, a further part of the dramatization. As they watch, dig through the wall and take the bags through it. And while they look on, lift the bags to your shoulders and take them out in the dark. Cover your face so that you cannot see the land, for I've made you a sign to the house of Israel. And in here, uh, of course, this picture is a narrow escape, but it's it's more than that. Uh, remember that their last ruler is a guy named Zedekiah. And Zedekiah, as it's fixing to explain, he will try to escape in this way. Uh, and in fact, you can go read about that. It's in uh, 2 Kings 25, verses 1 to 7. Uh, we may turn over there in a minute, but uh, it's specifically the king, Zedekiah, who has rejected the true prophecies of Jeremiah the prophet and accepted the false prophecies, including that of a man named Hananiah. We read about him, I think, last week. Uh, he's pictured in uh, in Jeremiah. Uh, he listened to him, and, and he tries to escape the city through a wall. And the reason the mud's on his eyes so he can't see the land is because they, they the, the Babylonians catch him and pluck his eyes out. So, so anyway, it's, it's quite graphic. Um, so according to verse 7, uh, Ezekiel does what he's told, uh, carries this whole thing out. And then in the morning in verse 8, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, has it the house of Israel, that rebellious house, asked you what you're doing? And of course they will. Uh, they're not going to listen to God, I don't think, but they are curious what he's doing. Uh, and, and the reason that, you know, they've decided that Ezekiel is, is not really giving God's prophecies, but it is, I think this is nothing more than curiosity. So they ask him and he says to them, this is what the Lord God says. This pronouncement concerns a prince in Jerusalem. A prince can re could refer to a king, and in this case, it's, it's Zedekiah. Uh, it, it concerns the prince in Jerusalem and the whole house of Israel living there. So it is both that, that there's a number of people who will face exile, but the prince in particular, um, I think, is the one that will go through the wall, as I say, and and be blinded. He's going to watch some of his family die and then have his eyes plucked out. It's it's very graphic. Uh, you're to say, you're to say, I am a sign for you. His dramatization that he's done uh, is a sign. So I am a sign to you, just as I have done it would be done to them. They will go into exile, into captivity. The prince who is among them, Zedekiah, he will he will lift his bag to his shoulders in the dark and go out. Uh, he's sneaking out and trying to get away at night. Um, they will dig through the wall to bring him out through it. He will cover his face so he cannot see the land with his eyes. But I will spread my net over him and he will be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans, yet he will not see it because he's going to be blind and he will die there. I will also scatter all the attendants who surround him and all his troops to every direction of the wind, and I will draw a sword to chase after them. Uh, his soldiers are going to die, so not not a lot of uh, uh, surprise there. They they will know that I am the Lord 
that phrase we've seen repeatedly, they really, they might verbally acknowledge God in some sense, but they do not believe he has control over what happens. And, and so he, and of course they trust their idol. So he repeatedly gives them this phrase, they will know I'm the Lord. When I disperse them from among the nations, they should know he's the Lord already. It takes the dispersion coming true, validating everything Jeremiah and Ezekiel said to convince them. I mean, that's the sad reality. It's, it's, it's when it's too late to repent that they will finally realize that what they were hearing was true. Um, we have a great capacity to disbelieve um, the uh, the things that we don't want to believe. And, and we're not, you know, Christians are certainly not immune to this. And, you know, I get asked a lot of times, why, why do, is there so much um, lack of uniformity about, you know, among Christians about what they, what they believe? Well, this is one reason, um, you know, the big, the, the truth is the biggest reason is, is people uh, can be Christians without really experiencing much transformation. And, Instead of allowing the Word of God to renew our minds, we have the great ability to take the parts of the Word of God we don't like and to reject them. But some people don't like to just outright reject them. So what they do is uh, they try to come up with plausible uh, interpretations that uh, sort of give them at least some surface-level excuse to reject uh, what, what the Word says. But at the end of the day, they're just doing what these people did back here. If they didn't like the message and they didn't, uh, it wasn't really what God was saying, whether you want to reinterpret what God says or just outright deny God ever said it to begin with. But this is this is not a it's not a new phenomenon, but we 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 have to be aware of it. We we all have this great capacity uh to do this, especially where uh I think where the word of God would require us to change at the end of the day that was their issue you know they got into this idolatry uh god had told them not to do it when they did it god told them to stop when god's word becomes convicting when it requires change that's when a, a lot of people don't want to listen but um mature christians and christians that are in the process of, of maturing and in a sense all mature christians will still be in that process um, one of the hallmarks of that, I think, is a willingness to accept criticism, to uh, see something in God's word that that uh, awakens you to an area in your life you've not really realized is is something where you're, you're holding back. You 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 need some change in how you think in that area, or even listening to um, a critic, even a critic you don't like but their criticism maybe has some truth in it. And, and, and I, I think that's, that's a, a good thing. We, we hopefully, even though it might not be pleasant, we would welcome that experience. Uh, but uh, if, if you're not engaged in a sanctification process, you're more or less stagnant or willing to sort of remain a babe in Christ uh, I think generally people are going to gravitate toward messages they like. They're going to reject messages they don't like. 
and they look like these people here. So that's my soapbox. Any any uh, thoughts about that? Just just kind of thinking along the lines of how this stuff from twenty six hundred years ago matters today. I I think you said a good maybe uh, a month ago or so that uh, if you don't admit you're wrong, you're not learning. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we have to be careful how we correct other people, right? Like Mm -hmm. some people are so mean, like if you don't agree with them or you have a different view or a different current understanding, you know, I've seen people who profess to be brothers and sisters and they are like, they kind of get bullyish. They turn into a bully kind of. And so I just think we should be careful too how we correct other people. What, what do you think is their motive when they correct people with, uh, in a mean spirited way? I don't know. I know some things I, you know, are lost in text, right? Sometimes that's challenging and, but you can certainly gather what they're trying to say. And, you know, they're all in capitals and calling you a heretic and it's your opinion when you have, you've clearly stated or shared scripture and, but it's because they don't agree with you or they just don't share your same view and I'm not saying you know my view is correct but I think we should be gentle and loving with each other as we are all trying to learn and understand but I I don't know what the motivation is there <laughs> like to you know to suddenly become domineering and I've seen this one person and it's not just me that has been under his fire but um several brothers and sisters if they don't agree with him you know um yeah i don't know it gets pretty yeah. hairy quick <laughs> it's it's a it's a uh it's 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 a good point right uh as as christians you know we we should be able to give correction and it depends on how well we know someone and and that sort of thing but uh, you know, when when Timothy in Second Timothy chapter two, uh, Paul tells him, you know, you need to go correct some people. Um, Paul says, and it's, I'm reading Second Timothy two twenty four, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness, which is what you just said. So the the very instruction itself not being done in gentleness violate scripture but the other thing is uh you know james and his epistle addresses speech in all five chapters and i i suggested when we we've talked about james in the past that how we control our tongue is a primary indicator of level of maturity um if if a christian even one who seems to be very learned um is mean-spirited when they deal with the word of god with with fellow christians uh in their tongue with the way they they speak um their own speech questions their level of maturity it's it's not a good thing there's other problems uh paul said uh, to the ephesians that when you speak you should only speak in words that edify others 
um, there probably is a time for harsh language, and we saw it from Jesus, but primarily among people who had outright rejected him and were publicly uh, leading false ministries, and those were the Pharisees. But with everyone else, even like Nicodemus, for example, uh, a Pharisee himself, but Nicodemus, Jesus was quite you know, gentle with, I think. So well, I see some hands raised. Uh, Judd? Um, I, it's me. I was just, I think it's so important, but I really think usually the motivation is pride. And heaven forbid if somebody is, you know, I see it in the church we go to. I just, you know, people get furious if you don't agree with their opinion. I mean, isn't that just pride? Yeah, and it, it, you know, the big thing is, and and I think we can all we can all get uh, a bit indignant about it on some things, but but we, you know, the what are we trying to do when we correct someone? Are we trying to show them we're right? Are we trying to help them see the truth? That's different. Doing something for their benefit. And, and a third thing always to keep in mind, are we listening to them? Is it possible that they're the ones God's using to show us some correction? Uh, I uh, have tried uh, to listen to people who have approached me with ideas that I've already considered and, and rejected long ago. But I, I try to still listen and hear them out. And, and I'll tell you, and I haven't always done it well, but that's that's one of the biggest challenges we have to, to meet is just to first start by being a listener, um, you know, uh, uh, first and at least understand where they're coming from. We should be able to try to do it with gentleness. And and I think the exceptions are the ones that, that we see Jesus himself or the Apostle Paul, where they uh, were not terribly gentle, but it was because of some very specific areas of false teaching that undermined the gospel or something like that. And uh and and then and and I think uh, Echo mentioned the word you know heretic or heresy, that word gets used a lot. And uh, I've got a quote somewhere, and I don't I don't know where I've, I've forgot exactly what it said, but it's from Charlie Bing, and and he basically um, made the point that we you know that word heresy is not frequently used in the New Testament, but it's way too frequently used among Christians who uh, disagree with other Christians. Um, about things that that you know shouldn't rise to the level of it being you know quote a heresy if that makes sense um i i that that term's not usually very helpful in the conversation even if what they're teaching is a heresy uh what it's worth but uh, i saw another hand raised probably me yeah go uh, ahead i think we have to remember that we're all guilty of hearing what we want to hear and seeing what we want to see. And That's, sometimes yeah. criticism is given in such a way that the person doesn't hear it, even though it's given gently. I think then the person giving the criticism needs to figure out another way to say what they've just said, but to say it in a different way. Yeah. It's, uh, that's difficult to do. I know I had to do it with my daughter when she was uh, learning to water ski. 
I could tell her how to do something and she would not understand it. And I'd have to figure out another way to put it that she would understand it. Right. And you know, when, when you care about people and it's not just a matter of vindicating your position, we find it easier to do that. And we're trying to do it in gentleness. And that's really the, that's really the key. Um, Ezekiel has a, a message and, and, and part of it is harsh, but, but, you know, there's no indication he he's personally being mean spirited to people. Uh, he's trying to help people by bringing them the truth. And, and when we engage in, in these discussions about God's word uh, with really with very narrow exceptions, we ought to be able to have a grown up uh, discussion without um, our speech violating the scripture. How bizarre it would be if I had to sin by my speech in order to correct what I perceive as some other brother or sister's sin because of something they believe, that doesn't make a lick of sense. Uh, people right. will often say something like, well, you know, you just don't talk about religion and in, in, in politics. You ought to be able to have an adult conversation about religion and politics without, without uh, becoming uh a belligerent the the fact that you that someone can't is it isn't because of the topic you're discussing <laughs> it's because of their heart problem uh, so anyway but uh yeah so uh back to back to the prophet here uh clearly this this stuff this this um you know it's it, it's a teaching that, that people are struggling with we see that today and i, I think it gives us a bit of a window into how this stuff really really uh, takes application um, people are going to ask the prophet what he's doing, and when they do, God has given him an answer, and it concerns all of Israel as well as well as the prince, which they all knew was Zedekiah at the time, uh, the prophet himself, and what he's enacted is a is a sign for them. Uh, it, the I mean, he's very explicit. They're going to go into exile, verse eleven, into captivity. Uh, the, you know, the prince is going to be taken to Babylon, but he's not going to see it, which you know. He doesn't take a whole lot of thinking to wait, wait a second. If he's going there and he's not going to see it, I mean, either he's going to be blindfolded all the time or he ain't going to have eyes. Um, but um, people are going to be scattered and, and so forth. But verse 16 says, I will spare a few of them from the sword. This is that remnant, um, the sword, the famine and the plague, so that among the nations where they go, they can tell about all their detestable practices they will know that I am the Lord. There's that phrase again. They will testify at some point to the reality that their detestable practices, their idolatry, is the reason that they are there. And um, if, if I could fast forward to a passage uh, in the very first chapter of uh, Zechariah, I'll, I'll just read what it says. But Zechariah has a nice prologue, like so many of our uh, books do, and I, you know, a prologue. And and in Zechariah's prologue, prologue, those first, um, I guess, five or six verses of the book, six verses. Um, this is what what we read. Uh, God says in verse four, Zechariah one, do not be like your ancestors. 
when we're reading Ezekiel, we're we're kind of reading their ancestors. Now there were some people in Ezekiel's time that would live long enough as as uh, folks probably in their 80s or 90s might return to um, Jerusalem. But but generally speaking, it's the children and the grandchildren and so forth. He he says, "Do not be like them." The earlier prophets proclaim to them, this is what the Lord of hosts says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not listen or pay attention and hear this to me. Those earlier prophets, Jeremiah, okay, Ezekiel, others, they spoke. They said, turn from your evil ways or certain things are going to happen. And people said, well, we're not going to listen to Ezekiel. And God says, they did not listen to me. That interesting. Um, you know, Peter would say in, in 2 Peter that um, in, in the old days, the prophets spoke. And, and they spoke as they were moved by the Spirit of Christ. It's a fascinating thing he says. They spoke as they were moved by the Spirit of Christ. Now, if they were false prophets... They they would speak by their own spirit, which is something he's Ezekiel six and to get into. Um, the idea, you know, when these prophets spoke, God was speaking through these men directly to them, and He expected them to listen. Um, Where are your ancestors now? He says in verse five, and of course, most of them had had perished. Uh, and do the prophets live forever? By now, Ezekiel's gone. Uh, uh, you know, Jeremiah's gone. They've, they've, they're deceased. Uh, they don't live forever. However, verse six, but didn't my words and my statutes that I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? Didn't everything I said would happen, happen? And this is their response. You know, this is a remnant of people who have come back to Jerusalem and they're going to be engaged in uh, building the city and in the temple. Listen to their response. So the people repented and said, as the Lord of hosts decided to deal with us for our ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. It takes this terrible um, uh, destruction of the city and the exile uh, and, and them seeing the city decimated before they finally realize that everything Ezekiel and Jeremiah were saying was directly from God, and it was the result of their idolatry. And and when that little remnant of 50,000 goes back to Jerusalem and to Israel that, that we begin to read about there in Haggai and Zechariah, they finally have left the idolatry home. They, they've left it in Babylon, right? It's, it's, it's gone. It took all of that. So you have a lot of problems in the first century when Jesus comes because the Pharisees have have um, manipulated the law of Moses and made it something it was not. But at least we can say the idolatry was gone. That makes sense. So they will know that I am the Lord, he says. That really comes true. He next dramatizes in verse 17 their anxiety. He basically uh, trembles when he eats. Verse 18, eat your bread with trembling, drink your water with anxious shaking. It's a picture of fear. It's a pretty obvious one. Then say to the people of the land, this is what the Lord God says about the residents of Jerusalem and the land of Israel. Uh, they'll eat their bread with anxiety and drink their water in dread, for their land will be stripped of everything in it because of the violence of all who live there. 
the inhabited cities will be destroyed. The land will become dreadful. Then you will know that I'm the Lord. Uh, when this calamity happens, they're, they're going to have fear. But look at what they're thinking at the same time these messages happen. Verse 21 deals with a proverb or a saying among the people. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man. This is the proverb you people have about the land of Israel. So this is something that they say it to one another, but it, what it reveals is a hard attitude. We see a lot of this in the in, in the Old Testament, this idea of, of proverbs. And, and, of course, we sometimes think of the book of Proverbs, which has, um, you know, uh, statements of wisdom from from uh, that God uh, provided through Solomon, for example. But but things could be a, a proverb kind of like just a, a saying. Uh, uh, remember, uh, in the time of David, it would be like uh, Saul has slayed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. That was one of the proverbs in the land, and it reflected what people were talking about, what they were thinking. And of course, it angered Saul that they elevated uh, young David. So here, the people say, the days keep passing by and every vision fails. That's what's at issue in Second Peter, right? In, in Second Peter that I alluded to earlier, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go probably fetch the one verse, people are saying, all this, all these promises and stuff, you know, they're just, they're just not, they're just not, uh, they're not coming through. Uh, they're not going to happen. Uh, you know, uh, let's see. Uh, da, da, da. I think I want Second Peter. Uh, yeah, like uh, this is Second Peter three. And he says, uh, dear friends, this is now the second letter I've written to you and, and, and want to stir up your sincere understanding. And he says, above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, where's his coming that he pronounced or he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the creation or since the beginning of creation. You know, it's it's you know, where are these promises? Where are these prophecies coming true? But now they're applying it to Ezekiel. They've been listening to him for uh, some amount of time. And they're saying Ezekiel's a false prophet because all his visions have failed. I, uh, you know, that's what they say. The days keep passing by, uh, Ezekiel, and every vision fails. Everything you've told us hasn't happened. They don't believe him. They just don't believe him. And that's why I've said earlier, this great capacity to disbelieve things we don't like, or and this is the common refrain, uh, oh, God, you know, supposedly said that a long time ago, but it hadn't happened yet, you know, and so it's not going to happen. Well, uh, this is God's response. This is what the Lord God says. I will put a stop to this proverb. Well, how is he going to do that? Well, he's going to he's going to he's going to hasten the destruction. Um, they will not use it again in Israel, but say to them, the days have arrived. In other words, this this destruction's imminent. This thing's fixing to happen. Um, he says, the days have arrived as well as the fulfillment of every vision. For there will no longer be any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. The false vision and the flattering uh, divination 
are the false prophets. And as it turns out, a lot of false prophetesses that we, you know, probably not get to get into that till next time, but there's a big band of, of, uh, of these, these women that seem to be uh, witches uh, for lack of maybe a better word that have prospered. And God says, you know, I'm going to destroy them and, and he's going to bring an end to it. And, and it's been their influence, the prophets and the prophetesses that has pushed back on what the true prophets like Ezekiel have said. And so God is hastening the destruction that will, among other things, remove these false prophets. You know, and it's a fascinating thing when he gets to these false prophets, it's really in the next chapter, but, uh, you know, you can understand why in the New Testament we have Jesus warning of false prophets and in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, but where are the false prophets in Matthew 7, which which really uh, primarily was the Pharisees. And, and then uh, you have the whole little book of Jude that doesn't get near the attention it should, where Jude says at the beginning, I would like to write to you about this, this common salvation we have. Uh, but instead, I feel compelled to deal with these false teachers. Second Peter chapter two and three talks about those false teachers. The whole book of Galatians deals with false teachers. And um, it's, it's, it's not to make us uh, uh, look for that behind every corner, but we are told to use words Peter would use to, to be sober, to be sober minded. There are people, and there always will be, that take advantage and, and try to deliver these false messages. And and uh, and if if I read Jesus right, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. In other words, they make themselves appear to be part of the flock. Uh, and and so and so that's what we see today the false teaching that i'm really most concerned about comes from people inside the churches uh Jeannie, do you have a raised hand yes thank you um i was thinking previously about what winnie had said regarding pride and then it came to me that i wonder if people will dispute the obvious if it doesn't fit their opinions their beliefs or their understanding and then and, and as you're teaching us this morning, I'm reflecting back on what happened in Maui. And how would we know that that disaster wasn't perpetrated by Satan rather than the Lord um, doing this to wake people up? Yeah, I I. I... You know, first I, I agree. With, you know, the pride is 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 the big problem, right? When it, when it and, and it's a problem that we don't become immune to as Christians. But if we're in this transformation process that that we should be in, uh, pride should be something that begins to to weaken and diminish in in our lives, uh, and that helps us be more open. At the end of the day, to 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 learning, to to being to to learning. Uh, even when it means that something we might have been well invested into was wrong, uh, with with what's happened in, in in Maui, we we have to be careful there. And I think sometimes we're not sure uh, that that is. There are always those who will be quick to say God did this. One thing's for sure: if God's sovereign, He had to at least permit it. I mean, that's just a fact. Uh, 
God's sovereignty, you know, in, in some view, you know, a lot of it, it's how you view sovereignty. If God uh, micromanages everything, then he caused it. It was it was something he intentionally brought about. Uh, if God's sovereignty is that everything that happens, he either causes or permits, which is kind of how I view it in simple terms, God has at least allowed this to happen. And then we have to we maybe have to wrestle with why. Uh, could Satan do things like that? Absolutely, he could. Uh, you read of Satan causing a, a natural disaster uh, in the book of Job. It does seem that he had to have God's permission to do it. Uh, I don't know if that's always the case. Maybe it is. Could Satan do those things? Yes. Um, is it just a natural occurrence that happened, but God uh, allowed it and didn't put a stop? Could be. Um, I, I'm always reluctant to say God did this and here's why, but I do think we kind of have to wrestle with with the why God allows these things to happen. Um, and and I don't have you know I don't have an easy answer for you there. Uh, uh, you know that's it's other than you know we get into some deep rabbit chasing, but uh, it's it's interesting though as a culture we reject God and then if something bad happens, well why would God allow this to happen? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing, but uh, well, we're we're at a point where we need to go ahead and close for today. We're we're sort of almost at the end of twelve, so we'll easily finish that next time. I encourage you to read chapter thirteen. He's going to dig deep into these false prophets. Uh, after I stop the recording, we can hang for a few minutes. If there are some more comments, I think Jeannie's question is a good one. If anybody has uh, some thoughts on that, uh, and then I'm going to have to close out a little early.